Hello and welcome to e-commerce uncovered. I'm your host, Matt Lady. Each and every week I get to talk with and learn from enthusiastic guests, freelancers, agency folks, in-house marketers, and founders, all in an effort to help you bootstrap your D2C brand profitably. We got two episodes a week, which will have you staying up to date on the ever-changing industry and learning fundamental concepts and tactics to apply to your brand. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is with the VP of Growth at Sharma Brands. Sharma Brands helps brands maximize their potential by showcasing their identities and optimizing their value with fresh takes and deep knowledge across the team and industry. She's also a creator of the Twice a Week newsletter, Go to Millions, and she's a work creator at Workweek. Please welcome Ari Murray. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's super fun to be here. Yeah. So you've, you're writing this newsletter, you're helping a bunch of brands. You've been in e-commerce for at least five or six years. Uh, I looked on your LinkedIn. So yeah, that's my whole, the whole thing, the whole time, the whole, all of it. Love it. Um, and I was recently taught hearing you on the wonderment podcast of the, thank you come again. You're talking about a seasonal drop strategy for brands. And so I wanted to, uh, take that and pivot on its head a little bit and start off by talking about how should bootstrap brand founders think about launching a new product? Maybe they've uh, launched their brand that's like this one product that they started with or a couple products and they've kind of gotten some traction. They have a couple hundred thousand dollars in sales or maybe they're at a million dollars in sales, whatever, like relatively early stage, but something's there. How, how do we frame the conversation? How do we frame, uh, set up a framework almost for them? to then decide how to launch a new product, when, and what all that goes into that. So how do we start? I think it, it all depends on how much money we have and on what we're selling. So if we're selling something that's super niche, then you're going to play it a little differently. And if you're selling something that's $30 that works for any gender and it's shipping across the country, that's a totally different game. I think first you just have to like really realize where you're playing and what you're selling. And then you have to sort of tune out anything that doesn't apply to you. So I think that the best thing to do is to like really look to your left and right of anything that's happening similarly in your market. So if I was like launching a beauty brand, let's say we'd sold 500,000 and we were a lip gloss and it was in three colors already, but this is our new product line and it's now a lip scrub. That's like our whole new game. Okay. Well, then like, I don't need to take advice from someone who's selling pots and pans. Maybe if they have a software they use and we have the same tech stack, then sure. Like that is a really helpful, like discussion one-to-one as a friend, but I really need to look more at like my competitors and how they play it and what resonates with me. And then exactly what will resonate with my audience will have to be slightly different because otherwise, why wouldn't someone go shop there? So you have to like first realize where you're playing, diagnose the situation, and then figure out why this is worth buying to someone. And once you can answer those questions and you're aware of your budgets, then you can start to execute against, okay, this is going to launch in a month we're going to be able to seed it to 100 people, then you can think about who those 100 people will be. Maybe you give them each like a landing page that's dedicated. Then maybe you have them fleet it out like over two weeks. So it's going um, and like hitting for a little while versus this one pop and 
no time to iterate against it. And then you send a launch email, you send a text, you like redo your homepage banner, you get all your ads ready, you update Google. Like there's so many little things to tweak, but it only will ever like have a shot if you are like really aware of who you're selling to, why someone should buy it, and then like executing as perfectly as you can, especially if you don't have a lot of money. Because the worst thing to do is to blow all your money on like some crazy idea that you've never tested before. It'd be much better to use that budget to repeat something either you've seen work really well for someone else that's similar or something you've tried before and do it at a bigger scale. So it's like, it's so dependent, but you have to like really diagnose the situation. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a great starting, (laughs) a lot to work with there and to reiterate and to uh, kind of go in a couple different ways. So the first one, I like how you mentioned looking at your competitors and looking what's already in the market, but not as a, oh, what's working for them and I'm going to copy and steal it and I'm just going to do what they're doing because it has 10,000 reviews and I'm just going to copy and paste. It's, I think more maybe for the folks, it's like, oh, what are the bad reviews saying? What should I be aware of when I'm making my formulation or when I'm packaging it up or, oh, the price is like, it's good, but the price is too high. So kind of just being able to look at those reviews on the competitor products of that, you know, lip scrub that you're launching. So I think that's um, really cool and a good thing to mention um, and reiterate. And then I think the second thing I want to follow up is about budget is you're saying, yeah, you don't want to blow up your budget on a product that you haven't really tested. So how is there a way to kind of do a mini test first? Is it like, can I go talk to my past customers and kind yeah. of do a little, hey, you're my VIP customers. Here's this new product. Let me know what you think. Right. I think that there's beauty in a soft launch. So I don't think it even needs to be hawked like one-to-one against your customers. But if they've already, let's say a thousand people have bought your brand before, then you should send like communications out to those thousand people and see how many of them bite, see once they buy it, how many of them like it, how they review it, then you can ask for feedback. And if your current base freaks for it, that's a great time to then invest in like, let's now push paid, let's start seeding this, let's work with PR, let's go nuts. But I would much prefer like a slower, run up versus just like okay day one we have hundred thousand dollars we have a thousand customers let's like launch paid like this is our message this is mm-hmm. it because how do you know you like got it right and then you can test it on your most likely to buy and you already have them right so it's not just going uh all out right away it's kind of leaning into it and kind of ramping it up over time so that's yeah. uh that's good Good to know. Um, what are some other things you you mentioned a bunch in your initial uh, re- reply about like there's so many little things to worry about and check out of like channels and things to update and what's um, what are a few things you've helped a bunch of brands and products like launch and you've done this quite a few times. What are some yeah. things that on your checklist that you may want to kind of point out and call out as not obvious, like, oh yeah, yeah, make sure, you know, this is updated. 
Yeah, I spend so much time thinking about what my site experience feels like and also positioning any new skew or non-hero skew that you want to become a hero skew. Like where can we put it and how can we describe it with images and with really quick, short, choppy sentences? And how can I educate on something that's brand new in a really like digital friendly way? So I think I spend a lot of time focusing on okay, this product makes sense to the founder because they developed it. And But like if I didn't know this category and if I was brought in, because now I work for an agency. So some of the brands we work on, I don't know everything there is to know about alcohol or everything there is to know about supplements, but I know a lot about e-commerce. So I know like the behavior that we're trying to optimize for. And so I think it's our job as the marketers or as the founder, however big the team is, if it's like one, one, one person total, it's like, how can we make this clear to anyone? And then how is it easy to shop? So even for a brand launch, even if I had a small budget, I would still build my own landing page and unbounce. And I still wouldn't direct traffic even from my email and text to my own list. I'd still direct it to a landing page that was specific to this launch, to that customer and it would be like education meets quick checkout. And so you're able to really optimize. And then once they get to add it to their cart, can we put a slide cart there that can upsell them? But I don't try to get too tricky with it, especially for something new where we really don't need to focus so much on the like AOV or the LTV or any of these like really important things if we're just trying to understand like if this has legs. Yes. So putting the, literally putting the cart before the horse, trying yeah, to get it, to, get it, get it moving, get it started to see if it even works at all or totally. trying to optimize the crap out of it. Yeah. Um, you have to like slow your roll a little bit. Yeah. No, uh, that's, uh, that's something I struggle with sometimes. I'm like, oh, but I could do this. I could, th- what about this idea? And then it's like, no, no, like one thing at a time. Uh, yeah. Keep it simple. So um, that makes a ton of sense. And then, so we have a slow rollout launch. We have a soft launch. We get moving. We we learn some stuff. What are what are like the variables or KPIs or like qualitative things you're looking at to see if it does have legs? Is it yeah? Um, like, is it sell through based on the amount of inventory? Is it conversion rate? Like, what are we? What are you yeah. thinking about? I care so much about conversion rate, especially from like an owned audience because I should be able to count on that audience. And so if someone has put four orders in with me and then if I send them a new product drop and they are not interested at all, and if if that's a trend and let's say the normal conversion on a new product would be like 8% from an owned list to a landing page. And then it's like at a one or two or less than you know that something is not resonating. Maybe it's not the product, maybe it's how we set it. So then mm-hmm. you can take that experiment and push it to social and then you can push it to paid and you can talk to any customers who did purchase. I love doing that where let's say it was a flop of a launch and we had a thousand customers and only 25 ended up buying it and 12 reviewed the product after two weeks. Then like, why can't I, as the brand owner who cares so much, why can't I then write that customer through my like ticketing system and say, hey, I'd love to give you $25 to shop our site. Do you mind telling me like why you decided to buy this and if you actually like it and tell me like 
or even get on a call with me and offer them more. I think like in that early stage, it's just data. And I would love to know what they like about it and also what their ideas are. And if you're going to get your ideas from your customer, that's a great, great place to get it. And then like make sure you reward them with like a VIP sort of programming or cash, whatever, whatever you need to do, but you can get so much from that like early advocate. Yes. And I think that's, uh, that's like, um, that's the benefit of being a bootstrap founder and being so close to your customers. You're, you're not out in stores and can't talk to them and you're not this big, 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 big brand yet. And you have no idea like why people are buying your products. You can just one-to-one kind of do that. And yeah. like you said, it's like only... not scalable. No, it's not. But like, that's, I guess that's especially the that's... point. Yeah. 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 Especially as you're starting out with this new product um, and iterating on it. So you've, you've talked to your customers, you've rewarded them, you've either messaged them or got a call with them. You've updated your messaging, your landing page, your emails. How do we then over time determine um, how to push different products or if, oh, this new product is becoming the new hero skew, right. do we then only focus on this new lip scrub versus the lip gloss before? How do we think about then adjusting our merchandising or on our site of like bundling or kits or offers mm-hmm. like as we go and uh, keep going after this initial launch phase? So I think there's always room for product extensions. And then there's even more room for variant extensions of the same line. So if, especially if it's CPG and you have four flavors, you should go for six. Or over time, if you sell wallets, why can't you sell keychains or whatever the accompaniment is? I think it's a little risky to just go like fully 180 style where you sell like healthy soda and then you start selling makeup. That's not something I would want to do with a little budget. But if I sell healthy soda, then I could sell healthy caffeine or like whatever the equivalent is, or like something similar or or, um, like straws or whatever it is that makes it more cohesive and more of a set. And I think bundling and merchandising, when I think about like increasing AOV, I think about for my repeat purchasers. So my paid offer, I'm never going to have the most success on paid with something that's hundreds of dollars. If the product is $30, you're so much better off trying to get someone in the door, sell them the vision, a sample set, or even just one skew, and know that if you've convinced them there, they'll eventually be so confident to come and your deals will, the bundle of seven of something you love is so much more compelling than buying seven of something you've never tried, even if it's at a low price. And it's only on sale if you want it. That's how I always think about it. So, oh, like a bundle on paid, that's $100, but it's supposed to be 120. It's not appealing to me if I didn't even want it. Like just if I wouldn't have bought it, it's not about price until you're convinced to buy something. So I think bundling and increasing AOV and getting someone to buy more happens once they become a customer and let's just bring them into the fold. Nice. Yeah, no, that's cool. That, uh, that, that makes sense uh, in a lot of ways. And I think we can get caught up in these absolutes and a lot of advices. You must always be trying to increase AOV. And uh, 
that way you can get a profitable ROAS or all the time and all this stuff. So <clears throat> it's very brand and product and phase of business dependent. So um, speaking of uh, the website and changing that experience and bundling and AOV and return customers, you had a uh, pretty, uh, I, I liked it a lot because I love this movie. You had a, a parody uh, tweet of 10 things I hate about you of 10 things I hate about your website. And so then you had listed a thread of 10 things that you uh, mentioned about I, that you don't like about e-commerce websites. So what, um, I know it's kind of a while ago, so I'm not going to be like, what was the inspiration for that <laughs> I was going to say, you have to but, jog my memory. Yeah. So I, Yeah. I'd say I spend a lot of time in my actual day job auditing websites and even every landing page that our team makes, I'm like finalized, same for every ad, same for like a lot of our creations. And so I spend a lot of time nitpicking things that are already incredible if it's something that our team is working on. And then if we get a brand new client that's already been in market, if they brought us on, then they're open to change. And so we'll nitpick something that maybe was working and maybe they had a 2% conversion on their site. And we can, almost every website can be made better. And there's almost always like a pretty blatant flaw on every website, at least from what we've tested. So these aren't like, oh, I prefer this color button. It's like, there's no promo bar. There's no, like, I can't tell if this is free shipping or this took forever to load or the button is like, looks like it's secondary, but this is my call to action. Like there's fully always like, really sometimes quick hits that are low dev bills and just like they need someone to have a second set of eyes. And I think we all forget that we need to like go through the journey of our own brands all the time. Cause you sort of forget like, Oh, my FAQs are like two years old and they're kind of weird and they don't really apply to everything. And you just sort of, you have to, it takes forever to actually audit like a big website that has a hundred products, but it's super, I'd say high impact. Yes, and so that but the website is your storefront. It's where you communicate. It's how you communicate, and it scales. That's where all your ads and emails are driving to and from. So, and you mentioned the conversion rate. It almost always being able to be improved or adjusted. It uh, that affects the ads and the emails. So, like you could do the totally. same thing, and if you increase the conversion rate by one percent or half a percent, that just makes everything else more efficient and look better and perform better. So it's very important uh, to kind of keep these things in mind. So um, love this uh, list. And I'm just going to ask you about a few of them. I'm not going to go through all 10. Um, I love the, uh, your homepage is not uh, the place for a small novel. So uh, I think this is in regards to, some brands just want to share their entire story, every single detail, all the products, everything all at once on this homepage. So talk to me about what they you see frequently and then how we can adjust it, what we should be doing on our homepage. So I think that everyone hates to read. Even people who like to read, they're really busy. <laughs> and most of your traffic, at least for e-com, is going to come from mobile. And websites are often written offline where someone will say, 
this is how I want to position the brand. And they might not even be digital. They may be the founder, they may be the brand marketer, whatever. And they write this little novella. And it's really important to be able to say what you need to say, especially above the fold. Like I would love a 10 word, like a 10 word combined where it's like three words as like a, like, hi, we are blank. And then you like, quick subheader, really clear CTA. And then you can tell more and you can say more though with fewer words. You can use icons, you can use videos, you can use like brand logos. If Vogue wrote up about something about you, great, let's include that logo, let's say something. If you have a customer review that's glowing, let's include. And then let's make sure we have that information available on the site and we can always go long form. But homepage for me, especially the high like highest to the above the fold needs to be shown not told shown not told short and sweet uh get them to either click that button and shop right away and learn more about the product or if they do scroll on it's it's uh they're able to digest and keep moving and be able to determine like oh this is the right category or this is the right collection for me or i'm gonna go check this out first but you don't want it to be uh too long that they don't get to the good stuff or like there's right. too much you know it's so overwhelming that, yeah yeah okay that makes a that makes sense about the small no- novel uh comment and then uh, i'm gonna come again to uh similar to website copy on the home page is just the copy is unclear and you literally wrote one of my favorite phrases to explain it is like clear over clever. Yeah. Uh, but like my brand is, it's my baby. It's my product. Like, it's so cute. It's yeah. so funny. Like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Don't you get it? It's a joke or like, it's isn't that so? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I like, I love like smart copy, but I don't love it for your homepage. I think you need to, it, it needs to be so easy to understand and you shouldn't ever have to like ponder what that word means. You'd be surprised, like even at the product naming, sometimes I've worked in my past, I worked in beauty and we had a like little pouch we were selling and we were going to be going back and forth a million times of what to call it. And one of the names that almost won was Pouchette, which is like in French, it's means like little pouch, Mm. but I don't speak French. And neither did our customer. And so it's like, this is a pouch or it's a bag or it's a whatever, but let's like not reinvent the wheel. And we should use small words that are easy to read, easy to understand. And like a play on words is not ideal in like a conversion situation. We need to just make it abundantly clear. This is what it is. Do you want it? Yep. Yeah, no, uh, clear over clever. Um, that's a very good example of uh, the pouch, pochette yeah. or whatever. Yeah, uh, that's just like pochette. Yeah, just thinking way too much, like like trying way so too many hard. meetings about this little pouch. You you would die. Yeah, no, I'm sure like way too many. Um, yeah, no, so that's a prime example of being clear over clever. And then I think one more I want to talk about from the list is uh, this forcing subscriptions right away. And so this has been a extra 
common trend and topic people like talking about the last couple of years is like, oh, like rising ad costs, CPM this, and ROAS going down. You got to get subscriptions, get that recurring revenue. And so uh, you mentioned that it's uh, you don't like when websites force subscriptions right away. So let's, let's tell me a little I bit more I find it that. to just be like the most severe way to handle it because if in that example i mean when people are forcing like a paid ad and it lands on a subscription offer and there's no way to even toggle down to a one time like sure you could show me that if i spend if i get a subscription i'll say four bucks a month i still will never do that if i've never tried it and the only like sort of exception to this rule to me is if it's a supplement like Mm -hmm. seed health which i think they do an incredible job it only really like takes effect and starts to work or well bell, which is a hair supplement. Like you have to let it live for three months for it to work. That's so different. But I'm talking about if I'm selling healthy soda, Yeah. why do I have to subscribe to your healthy soda that I've never tried to like, I don't need to save $3. I need to decide if I want this. And it actually <laughs> makes me feel like I have to make such a commitment and it doesn't make me take the one time. It makes me just panic and leave. Yeah. And I think that you just, you can't get greedy in the beginning and then your like CAC is higher and your ads don't work and you try 15 creatives and you have to bill for all those, but you could have just like kind of come down to earth on the offer. Yeah. So it's just like you're increasing the friction almost is like too high. And I, you get overwhelmed and a bit leave the page. Like uh, it's, yeah, it's just was funny to hear, but like, that's, that's, I've done that. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to commit to a subscription. I'm going to forget about it. Like, I don't want to auto future. Matt is not going to remember to cancel. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. So I'm just going to not do it in the first place. Yeah. So yeah. I'm super with it's you. It's actually that. funny. I accidentally, like, I like to think I'm pretty tech savvy and that I know, I bought a protein powder and I didn't like it. And then I used one serving of it and it was like kind of expensive. And then it arrived at my house the next month. And I was like, what? But I had subscribed. I fully just, I don't know how it happened, but it was me. And I went and looked and nope, it was me all along. But like, that's the last thing you want is now I have 59 (laughs) servings of something that I don't like. And I'm not even going to write customer service because that was my fault. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think you should just make it clear that you have subscription and that's something you can mention as the product depletes later by email. Yeah, yeah. Get them in the door, get them to try it. Um, and then, yeah, especially on paid, don't force it. Maybe you can have it as a prominent offer or option and totally. lead with that on, like, the first section. But don't uh, not let someone, you know, take the step down. Um have multiple tiers and multiple offers essentially for your product. Totally. So cool. So that those are uh, uh, some of the things you hate about websites. Uh, it was it was a really good thread. I'm just gonna quickly list off some of the other ones. We don't have to talk about them. In depth is uh, making sure that there's a shop button on your on the website, uh, just so you know where to go for the product. The promo bar is glitchy. Either an old discount code code an old announcement it doesn't work on mobile versus desktop uh, making sure it's ada compliant uh, buttons being too small uh, useless digits you say 29 dollars is good 29 dollars and zero cents is not as good 
and then not optimized for mobile. So uh, just some quick hitters, some quick checklist stuff for you guys to maybe uh, take some action on quickly or double check. So um, we're going to keep moving on here and switch gears a little bit from uh, websites and product launches. So you've been in a few different jobs, worked with a bunch of different brands and in different capacities. What's, uh, what's been one of your favorite projects, either a brand or a specific launch or a campaign or an opportunity? What, what's been one of the favorite ones you've had and then why? I think my favorite, there's been a lot that have been really cool. And a lot of that have been like good learning opportunities. My favorite to have been a part of is the Feastables launch for Mr. Beast. Yeah. Because it's just so much pressure <laughs> because there's so many, there's just so many visitors and it's so scary. And like I didn't eat for like three days before because I, I physically was like more scared of that than I, I fully was so worried. But then if it goes well and if like the customers receive it and everything is nothing is broke that I touched makes me feel so alive. So, and I think there's always like, when you work for an agency, you meet so many people, but that team is just the most incredible. And so super lucky to have worked on that and really happy that I didn't like mess it up. Yeah. Um, Very scary. Did you at least then enjoy like celebrate with the Feastable Bar? Yeah. Well, I was, (laughs) I was like with their team. So when it went well, it was great. But yeah. had it not, I would have been just right there in the room. So <laughs> like, oh, oh. really wow. good. But yeah, that, that's the coolest team ever. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. And like you said, just immediate tons of audience and traffic, like from the beginning because of uh, Jimmy, like Mr. Beast, like he just has that built in. So it's not like, oh, we launched this brand. And then it's like crickets it's like nope yeah, there's people coming <laughs> it's zero to a hundred and like i think my favorite is those stealth brands that finally come to life because you have the secret you've been working on something for so long or you're assisting as like an agency to a brand and it's so cool when it enters the world and people like freak for it you just like feel happy for the team that like actually developed the product three years ago like way before you even got to touch it yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Like seeing all that long effort and hard work pay off uh, and come to life. Yeah, come to fruition. That's really cool. Uh, a couple more questions here, but we're going to start landing the proverbial podcast plane. Uh, we're coming in for a landing, so we're, we're, we're starting to wrap up. Uh, on LinkedIn, you have over 35,000 followers, uh, last I checked, and a lot of your posts as of late have been... Uh, memes uh relating to marketing and they get tons of engagement tons of shares tons of comments tons of likes and reactions and so memes are not a new thing by any means um but do you think they have a place in like for dsc brand strategies or like a founder personal brand or is there any way we can like help people like translate that to growing a brand or is it kind of more just a personal brand thing I think there's totally a place as long as you're not the brand that's like the 75th brand of that day that jumps on the Drake template. Or I think if you have a meme that speaks to like, let's say your website like broke during a launch and it's your organic social instead of being like, hey guys, sorry about this, like a little notes app or like pretty edited template. Like, why can't you do like the 
I'm on fire. Like, it's fine. Me. It's fine, like, why yeah. can't you just like be your actual selves? Because people like memes, I think, because they're visual and people hate to read. And they're also something that like can show a lighthearted side. And I think that my favorite brands are the brands that I feel like the person who's running that brand account is like my friend. Yeah. And so I don't think that every brand needs to have like memes going viral, but I think that there's always a time to like visualize what you need to say. And I, I don't like anything that's too produced. So like for ads, like your hat says, make ugly ads. Incredible. Like that's what it is. Like my memes are like, some of them are really stupid and no one thinks it's funny, but me, but if I think it's funny, I'm going to post it because my LinkedIn is how I drive people to my newsletter where I'm my same exact person. And so if you don't think I'm funny or if you don't like any of the advice I share, then you won't like my newsletter. So you shouldn't come. And that's so fine for me. So I would rather just like act a little differently on LinkedIn than some people act because at least I'm myself the same way on Twitter. I act a little differently because I don't love Twitter. I find it to be like super intimidating and people get in like little tiffs all the time. And yeah. it's just this big thing. And I'd rather like just play it my way. And I don't really care if, if, if it's not well received, then, you know, like that quote, you, if you're too much for someone, then they might not be like your person or your people like fine. I don't need you to like my stuff. So that's, I think that that's how it can work personally. And as a brand, like you should be able, if that's your audience, like to act like your audience and your audience likes memes. Yeah. That's like, just, a, it's not like we're trying to say, just post memes and your brand's going to grow and skyrocket. Your CAC's right. going to go down. Like I'm not saying that it's just like, oh, here's another content pillar maybe to think about to supplement your other content. <laughs> Yeah, organic yeah. social. Oh, if this trend makes sense, or if this, like something happens, like your website broke, like you said, it's just trying to like add those in and supplement it. It's not. Yeah, just like make it more human. It doesn't have to be memes, but not everything has to be like perfectly on brand. Yep. Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. Um, that makes a ton of sense. And then uh, clearly, uh, as you mentioned and introduced as your Go to Millions newsletter and you've been writing that and your creator at work week. And so I've always been trying to think about how to use media as a bootstrap founder, because that is, that does scale beyond you. It can, if you like stick with it and compound and let it go over time and keep working at it, whether it's a newsletter, whether it's a podcast, whether it's YouTube, what do you think about founders of brands going this media route for their DTC brand? And would you say that they should do it through their own personal profile or through the brand account? Like, how do we think about media as a, a second, like a secondary channel for them? Yeah, I think it's such a good question. And my, like my disclaimer is you don't want to like, if you're trying to build a brand and if that's the end goal, like I want to build a brand that makes $8 million a year in the next two years then you should totally invest and in double down in channels that help you get there. But you don't want to spend half of your day working on like that perfect piece, that perfect essay to your 17 readers or however many, even if it's like 17,000, if those aren't your customers and if that's not resonating and driving you towards that main goal, 
then you should still maybe do it and it might be an outlet but you don't want to get caught up in the art form because it's not really the end goal but for me I use my newsletter to speak about marketing which I love and I use it to like help the agency work out there's like so many different reasons for it and I think that for a brand it is really cool from the brand account to be a real person and the brand Waterboy I think they do this the best out of anyone and they do it on TikTok but like I know just from TikTok who works there I know how they like what their duties are I watch them package orders I watch them like watch something sell out and you start to root for them because you know them and you'd then rather buy from a Waterboy maybe than a Liquid IV, which is like a similar product. Because I don't know Liquid IV and I don't sort of root for those individual like little guys, even though it's probably also a great team. I just don't see them. So right. I think that there's media and like putting a face to the name and giving someone someone to root for. And I think the brand House, which is an alcohol brand, their founder, Helena, I think she was perfect at it because she really like positioned herself as someone who cared a lot about the experience of her brand and about wine and about all the things that founders should care about but she didn't just build in secret it's all like in public too but not at the expense of the time spent working on the actual brand which is the the scary thing that sometimes people get into right yeah don't let the side thing become the main thing uh you're, you're selling a physical product uh right if you take away from that too much if you're not responding to customer tickets as much if right. you're spending too much money trying to promote it or distribute it or have time. someone help edit in time especially as a bootstrap founder like that's your biggest resource uh time and capital so yeah that, that makes a lot of sense but it, i think it has a place and i think it totally depends on your appetite and your skill set your past experience if totally. you were a writer for 10 years then sure like maybe you can create a newsletter that's say you're selling mattresses and you, you're talking about sleep or healthy habits and you know the surrounding areas around the product then I think that can make sense. But if you're just like, I'm going to learn how to write. <laughs> and so it's probably not the best use of time. And uh, totally. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, kind of wrapping up here, the last question is anything that I didn't ask you that you're expecting or that you want to follow up on, reiterate, or something that's happened recently that you kind of want to mention you should throw out there? No, it's just, you know, Black Friday's right coming. So wishing everyone well water all of the things but no you've been great thank you so much for having me yeah you bet uh where do you want to point people to if they want to read your newsletter they want to hire hire you at sharma brands all that stuff where do you want to plug people um you can read my newsletter it's called go to millions it's a go-to-market love letter you could hire sharma brands sharmabrands.com you could go on linkedin and like one of my memes or hate it whatever and Twitter, it's okay. We don't have to hang out there. I hate Twitter. But everything else is perfect. Awesome. LinkedIn, newsletter, Sharma Brands, website. Perfect. Not Twitter. Perfect. Awesome. Not Twitter. Not Twitter. Uh, appreciate your time, Ari. And uh, everyone else, thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you.
That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I love being able to do this, continue to learn and meet people in this industry. Every rating, review, and episode you share with a friend means so much to me as I'm bootstrapping this show as part of my media brand, High Key Geek. If you haven't checked out my other show, Brand Builders, you should. It's with myself and Tom Brown and Richie Mashiko. Two times a week, we talk in a much more casual setting, and we think out loud, we brainstorm, and we share our lessons as we continue to operate and run businesses in the D2C space today. We're not we didn't exit. We didn't just consult and advise now. And we don't, we're in the trenches as we like every day still. So we're learning in real time and sharing it with you as we go. That's Brand Builders on High Key Geek YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you find your podcast. Catch you next time.